0: It's time for episode 533 of the clockwise podcast from relay FM recorded Wednesday, December 13th, 2023 clockwise for people for tech topics 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the Tech Podcast. It's only 12 shopping days from Christmas. My name is Dan Morin, and I am joined across the internet this week by a very special co-host. It is co-host Emeritus and co-creator of Clockwise, the one and only Jason Snell sitting in for
1: Micah Sargent. Welcome back, Jason. Hi am your ghost of clockwise past is always please. great to sit in for one of you guys when you're i, I like i'm the in case of needing a host to break glass guy i don't know I why we keep you
0: behind be glass but it's probably I, for your own safety
1: well it's it's a window i, I don't want to hear you guys so it's <laughs> a double paned window <laughs> And today we're going to, we're really going to throw back, throw back uh, like eight years to episode 110 of Clockwise, which featured this same panel. (laughs) 2015, (laughs) people. Let's let's cut to the clip. No, uh, we don't have a clip, but we do have two
0: (laughs) fantastic guests to my left this week. It's Slovenia's foremost tech journalist and podcaster, Andrzej Tomic. Welcome back, Andrzej.
2: Yes. Eight years, the same crew. It's going to be even better. Dan, I'm so hyped. You see, I'm doing the, you know, it's always a better version, basically.
1: That's right. Yes. That's right. And to my left, it is relay FM podcaster, tech engineer, and political activist, and also legend. Really, you know who I'm talking about? It's Brianna Wu.
3: What's crack-a-lacking? <laughs> it's back, yeah. that, y'all. There uh, that's right. Go. We got it.
1: We got it. That's the true catchphrase right there, <laughs> except no substitutes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's kick things off.
0: Here's my question for you this week. I'm curious to know if you use any additional security measures on top of sort of the standard recommended practices. For example iCloud now offers this advanced data protection thing where you can hold on to your own keys. Do you use hardware security keys? Uh, any other sort of additional levels of security that you feel you need or you feel better about having or are the standard precautions sort of enough for you? Anjay, let's start with you.
2: I I do use uh, the hardware security keys. The U, I have a YubiKey. Like I, I don't do any kind of encryption, at least not knowingly. Maybe I'm on the Mac now, so maybe something's happening, and I don't really know <laughs> that it's there. But yeah, the the YubiKey. I don't know. It actually does make me feel a little bit better about. All of the important accounts, because uh, the the sort of podcast last show I do on public radio here is very sort of, we, we kind of do security and remind people that password managers exist and all of that stuff all the time. So it also be kind of weird with me just being, well, I'll just use one password and actually mm. a, a password for everything and no security keys and no two factor and just be, you know, I'd be a liar at that point then. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah hardware security keys. Uh I this uh,
1: this one's going out to all of you hackers out there. I am very secure. Don't try. <laughs> anything. Now, for everybody else, no, not really. Um I did put I put two factor or, you know, alternate the the little one-time code on everything that I possibly could. I try to get it off of the text Uh, texting version and into uh, an app. I'm currently using 1Password for that, although, yeah, Google Authenticator, Authy, there's so many other choices. Um, Trying to get things into passcodes now, as well, because I think that that is fundamentally more secure. Um, But beyond that, I don't think I do anything particularly special. I did have that moment where I realized, I get that question about, like, do you want to use File Vault on your Mac? And I had that thought where I, I thought, well, my backups aren't encrypted, and that's fine. But um, even my computer in the garage in my house, like theoretically, if somebody stole that, I would like file vault on there. I would like it to be completely encrypted so people can't get at my data, not that there's anything particularly exciting just for just pure privacy and not letting them mine it for whatever things that they could get out of it. So beyond that, you know, just using a password manager and trying to use one time authorization whenever possible. Beyond that, I don't actually do anything else. I feel like our what we would consider standard precautions now are so much better than they used to be that it suits me well enough. And while it's fun to think about like using a YubiKey, the fact is I work in my garage. Um, I'm not really even out in
3: public with my
1: data very often, so I'm not too worried about it. Brie.
3: I don't mean to say, like, I'm a big deal, but uh, I'm probably the only person on this show today that's had to work with the FBI because the Russians tried to penetrate my, my stuff uh, and succeeded <laughs> on it. Uh, so, yeah, this is something I obviously take very seriously uh, with my job this cycle. Uh, you know, I regularly interact with senators and members of Congress, and, you know, we, we have a lot of high-level uh, voter data that we need to keep uh, extremely secure. So, uh, YubiKey, of course, uh, I'm enrolled in Google Titan, I think if you're any kind of a uh, public figure, it's, I'm going to be straight with you, it's a pain in the butt uh, trying to get your Apple TV to work with your Google account when you're on Google Titan. Not a very pleasant experience, but it's got to be done. So uh, uh, I don't actually want to get super into the security measures that I use because I do have hostile nation states trying to, uh, you know, go after my stuff just like every other person that works in politics. But as far as just my personal things, uh, Jason, I really agree with you assessment, I think off the shelf, it's gotten so much better, especially my Apple devices. I feel really secure about the things in my personal life, but professional, I'm every bit of security I can get.
0: I tend to like. I think I probably am closest to Jason, but I have played around with the YubiKey key as well. I have one. Um, I haven't secured too many things with it. I think again, just because it adds certainly a level of security, but also an inconvenience factor for sure. And and like Jason, I'm not somebody who's often out about with a, a ton of data that they feel like they need secured. I do have two factor on everything I possibly can. And I feel like the interesting thing about hardware security keys right now is we are entering this period where we're having a transition to pass keys, and I feel like they offer a lot of the same benefits that a hardware security key does. Um, obviously different to have a separate factor as opposed to something like your phone where you might store all your pass keys anyways but um, it offers a lot of additional benefits for the most common ways I think that people get in trouble for having their security credentials compromised so uh, I you know take it fairly seriously I don't really like doing SMS codes where I you know where I can avoid it but sometimes it's unavoidable um, and in general I feel like um, as, as several of you said the the options just sort of for the average person have gotten so much better and with passkeys, I think will continue to get even better to the point where, you know, a very small percentage of people might need additional security on top of that. And even there, you know, I'm interested in, you know, Apple rolled out this iMessage contact key verification thing as part of 17.2 the past week. And I'm kind of fascinated by that and wondering if, you know, that kind of authentication, you know, might be helpful in more ways that we communicate with people for peace of mind, etc. So thank you all for your uh, thoughts on that. Let's go to our second topic, which comes from Anjay.
2: Yeah, my topic was kind of inspired by Jason because he mentioned that the Amazing Grace, a show I have never watched, but I have seen about okay. two episodes featured Slovenia. It's where, it's where I'm from. So I've been talking to a lot of Americans about traveling anywhere. And so my question is like, when you travel abroad, so not the states, like that doesn't count, uh, which like sites and websites and maps, uh, apps and stuff like that, do you actually trust the most to kind of get you around, find good restaurants or, you know, navigate the underground uh, trains or trains in general or whatever.
1: Yeah, it it is. It's funny. There's an app now and I wish I remember the name of it that does the thing that literally I wanted to do when I was going to New Zealand, which there's now an app that has a travel weather feature where you can put in where you're going and it will tell you what the weather will be like Mm. when you're going to be there, which is like such a great feature that I can't believe. Other apps don't do so. I could say I'm going to be in this part of New Zealand on this day and this part, and it would actually say it's going to. Here's what your trip is looking like, like a forecast that moves with you in the but in the future where you're going to be. Um, so for prep, I, I you know I try to do some prep like that. Maps, you know, I I have Apple Maps and Google Maps on my phone, and uh, most of my rental cars that I've done have CarPlay in them, and so I end up finding what map. Seems to be reliable. I will just kind of go back and forth until I find one. I spent most of New Zealand in Apple Maps actually, and it was very good. Um, I have also been in the UK where I had to abandon Apple Maps and go to Google Maps because uh, the Apple Maps was bananas and routing me on weird roads, and and Google Maps was in better shape there. But I find that it's really kind of a toss up depending on what the country data is. In terms of uh, you know the details, honestly, I still like um, if we're staying anywhere where there is a host. Like not an Airbnb, but like a uh, a hotel or a, or an actual B and G- Earth B and B, a ground B and B. I don't know what you call those. <laughs> it's a B and uh, I will ask the locals if they have recommendations because they actually know, and not, not only do they know their area, but they know what the tourists who are staying with them want, what they enjoy, and that helps a lot. I will if there's like Yelp or if there's a similar kind of like rating system for things like restaurants or a search engine or an app for that. I will turn to that if I need to. But um, I try to do some pre-work on the internet before I go. And I try to uh, ask the locals, right? You know, whether it's people on the street, you know, you don't really want to stop them and say, Hey, I need a restaurant. But especially if you've got like a host or a contact who's there, who has dealt with what tourists like in that place that I use that a lot. And if you're in Slovenia, you know, I, I would talk to Andrzej. That's what I would yep. do personally because yep. I, I know who he is. Bree?
3: Uh, so I would love to tell you that I have a personality where I log a Jira ticket and like map out every vacation I've got and where I go. Uh, I don't. Uh, I'm more of a warp factor five. Let's see what's out there, kind of gal. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's part of the adventure. Like, uh, you know, Frank and I go down to Disney a ton, and one of my favorite things to do down there is there's a, a place called Arcade Monsters in Ovalita. Uh and we found that just driving around, we see a sign that says Arcade Monsters, and I'm like. That sounds great. And to me, it's that adventure of just like typing in your phone, what you want to see, like, uh, just, just, just seeing what's out there and driving around and, and trying everything at once. Uh, to me, that's part of the fun it's the randomness of it.
0: Its tough yeah, because like there's a lot of stuff that I rely on if I'm traveling in the US that I feel like pretty confident in but if I'm traveling outside the country it's harder to figure out sort of what are the local places to check as Jason said like Yelp is not pretty is not very wide outside of the US Google sometimes has better reviews outside the US. Um, I found good luck in the past with um, TripAdvisor. Uh, which does the sort of best sort of hotel and some at least giving you overviews of like kind of like a guidebooky style stuff of like, okay, what I'm going to this place. What should I go see? Um, I do like a good old fashioned guidebook, honestly, like, you know, I'll get digital versions of those either for my uh, phone or even sometimes for my Kindle or something like that. But, um, you know, if I'm traveling in Europe, uh, Rick Steves is a great resource and he's got some digital stuff. I've even done like audio book tours that he's done of like museums and stuff where which is really cool. Um, So, yeah, I highly recommend that. Um, And then I think also I do tend to fall back probably to Google Maps mostly when I travel outside the, the country. Apple Maps I think has improved, but I think it still struggles to sort of catch up with the ubiquity of Google Maps. I also am very lucky in that I have a, a partner who is very into travel and has spent a lot of time traveling and therefore has come up with her own uh, processes and techniques for sussing out good places to eat and good places to stay and all of that. So um, that is a huge help as well. And of course, like like Jason said, relying on locals. If you know locals and people who live in a certain place, uh, it's always great to be able to like tap that knowledge as well because they know stuff that we will basically never find out otherwise so that's why I love I love traveling to countries where I know somebody uh, I think that's a, a huge part of it uh, Anre, why don't you wrap this up for us
2: uh, well, yeah, in Slovenia, I, I'm the app basically for you guys. That's I, I don't. know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Yeah>, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need to put up a website. Basically, <laughs> uh, I'll just say like for for Europe, at least for me, because I've heard like especially from Americans, like the the whole Yelp and TripAdvisor thing. Like I think the like in Europe, it's Google Maps, like all the way even for restaurants and stuff. I think they really got so, sort of out, their hooks into people really early over here. So I think you pretty much can trust it. And when you see like a restaurant with a, like a lot of reviews, like th- those, like Amazon reviews, when you see there's a bunch of them, like a lot of them, you can kind of trust the average maybe, you know, so, but in America, like when I've been to the States like three times now, and the first time I went there, I was on a Nokia phone where I took screenshots of Apple Maps and then walked around New York. So that, that's where I started. And the last time I was there, I talked to my dad afterwards because I was in, on the West Coast. That's when I met up with Jason. And I just told him like how... Because he was in L.A. in the 90s somehow with a friend and his English is kind of so-so. And my, my only question was, how did you even see anything without like Google Maps or Apple Maps, like traveling through America? Because I don't I don't know how anybody saw anything with just like a regular map or a guide. So, yeah, I think Google Maps is for Europe and then America. I actually used Yelp for restaurants and stuff and it was actually useful. So I don't know. That's where I stand. And again, Anze.app for Slovenia.
0: (laughs) For all your Slovenian travel needs.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: All right, that's two topics down. Two topics left to go, which of course means it is halftime here at Clockwise. And this week's episode is brought to you by Notion. Notion combines your notes, docs, and projects all together in one beautiful space. And navigating that space is easier than ever, thanks to Notion's new feature Q and and A is an AI assistant that can answer questions about next quarter's roadmap, find that marketing campaign proposal you're looking for, or dig up a long lost link all in seconds. I've spent a little bit of time playing around with this, and one thing I do appreciate is the ability to easily import information from other places. I was trying to upload a bunch of um, files I had in sort of a, a, in Obsidian, which obviously text editor uses Markdown. And I could just go to Notion, and be like, I want to upload files, and they're in Markdown, and be like, great give me all your files and it just sucked them all in which is super convenient i know that uh, our colleague and network co-founder mike hurley uses notion at cortex brand for keeping all the information straight for his company and uses notion ai to get uh, helpful summaries of meetings as well as provide action items uh, as well as using the q a to help him find answers to questions he has about information stored within the various documents he keeps in notion all of which is super handy because normally you might need to have an entirely separate person to do all that work for you And Notion AI can now give you instant answers to your questions using information from across your wiki, projects, docs, and meeting notes. You can also ask Q&A questions from anywhere in Notion, so you can find exactly what you need without leaving the doc you're in right now and stay focused on what's important. When you use Notion AI, it's even easier to do your most meaningful work. Plus, you can trust your data is secure because Notion AI is designed to protect your information. No AI models are trained with your information. The data is encrypted and answers will never use information from pages you don't have access to. Try Notion AI for free when you go to www.notion.com slash clockwise. That's all lowercase letters, N O T I O N dot com slash clockwise to try the powerful, easy to use Notion AI today. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show, which we appreciate. That's www.notion.com slash clockwise. Our thanks to Notion for their support of this show and Relay FM. Okay, Jason, we're done with clock time. We're, clock time? We're done with clock time. Clock time now. We're done with
1: <laughs> Half it, time no. at time. Clock time continues. Clock time
0: must continue forever. What do you got for us?
1: All right. I shall continue clock time by saying, I've been informed by a listener that a Mac user magazine Eddie Award statue from 1989 just sold last week on eBay for $1,400. And it it made me ponder... Uh, lots of things about my life, including this question. Do you have any old stuff, tech or otherwise, honestly, that might be valuable to a collector? And you can obfuscate if you're afraid that uh, that thieves or rogue nation states might uh, <laughs> steal it from you, <laughs> Bree.
3: I have uh basically an entire lifetime of rare video games and is worth an insane amount of money at this point uh I was obsessed with Dreamcast uh I got a bunch of games like Cannon Spike, so yeah you, know, you can go look at Cannon Spike and it's like oh my goodness, this is a $700 game now. Or, you know, uh, some of the early FromSoft games, right? Or even the uh, the really, really rare Capcom survival horror games like uh, Haunting Grounds. It's been a while since I've looked at that. That's like $500. So um, I would say if you are a video gamer at all and you've got some stuff sitting in your attic, uh, you might want to go look and see how much that is worth nowadays. Uh, one of the, the things with uh, Analog coming out, which is an FPGA system, is is a uh, retro game is extremely, extremely hot and uh there's a massive secondary market for all of those things so uh yeah uh you know my if uh, social security fails in the united states i'm gonna count on my <laughs> video game collection <laughs>
0: uh i was looking around my office trying to figure out if i have anything in here that's worth any value old or not um i have a, a laser disc player uh and some copies <laughs> of the uh star wars laser disc releases because for a long time those were the best quality versions you could get without special edition alterations maybe maybe the those Are worth 50 bucks. I don't know. Um, Jason, do you think anybody wants the run of every single print copy of Macworld during my tenure? Is that valuable or is that just? <laughs> I, I hope so because
1: I I have a superset of that same magazine collection. So, yeah, yeah okay. I, I, well, I, unfortunately, people keep emailing me saying, I've got old magazines. Do you want them? The answer is like never. Give them no. to me. And yeah, my answer never, is no. no. Yeah, please don't no. send me paper. <laughs> um yeah so i don't i don't think i have a
0: lot of stuff i mean maybe i'll come up like someday i'll be digging through one of these old boxes of tech and find something that is truly uh worth some some money but until then i guess i'll just clutch my my blue and white power mac g3 and and just think of the fond memories i have mm. <laughs> Ange what about you
2: oh yeah uh, gaming uh, nintendo gaming specifically because like i think like two and a half meters i guess yards uh from me there's a couple of boxes where there's a uh uh, Super Nintendo system with the original Mario Kart cartridge and the uh, Mario World cartridge and a bunch of... Uh, I think I have like a Street Fighter 2 cartridge. And then there's a N64 for which I have the Ocarina of Time, which probably is actually worth something. And Golden uh, GoldenEye and a couple more. And then there's a GameCube there. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it as far as tech goes. I think like my dad has a Mac. I think it's a G3 like a beige box, so maybe not a G three in storage somewhere. Which, uh, like five six years ago, we turned on and it worked somehow. So there's that, but that that uh, pretty much yeah, that's pretty much it.
1: You know, I I might have I've got old Macs and stuff, and maybe some there's value out there in a, a non-functional Mac portable, a G4 Cube that works. Uh, I don't know, but the true answer is probably I got two Mac user Eddie Award statues, <laughs> baby, twenty eight hundred dollars <laughs> coming to me, money, 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 money. If I ever choose to sell them, but currently I just use them as a souvenir. they The only appreciate Mac Jason. user in Mac world.
0: they only appreciate.
1: I mean, maybe. Uh, yeah. And if I sold them both at once, they would probably go for less, right? Because it, you, you got to cleverly just drop one every so often on eBay and then the price goes up. Anyway, that's not planning on that for my retirement, but you never know. Thank you all. Bree, you get the last topic. What is it?
3: All right. So utter disaster this year, uh, this week in the video game industry, uh, fantastic shuttered Days after the launch of a title, uh, The Day Before, which is one of the lowest rated video games I've ever seen in my entire professional career, IGN gave it a one and actually said they were afraid to keep running it on their computer uh, because they thought it was so poorly optimized it was actually going to damage it. Uh, So I guess my question is, this isn't the first time we've seen this in the video game industry. as We've moved away from this publisher model uh, to more of a crowdfunding model. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of history of video game studios and startups making big promises and not really being able to deliver on that. So um, my question to everyone on the panel is, how do you feel about uh, participating in open betas?
0: (sighs) Yeah, crowdfunding. I've, I've found myself very skeptical of crowdfunding in recent years. And I think there's value in it. And I think there's applications where it makes a lot of sense. But I also think there's a lot of places who see it as a ticket to like, we can get some money for operating capital, and then we'll build the thing and then profit. And it, it doesn't really bear out that way. I invested in at least one crowdfunding pro- project several years ago that went down Belly up in the worst way possible. Um, they got investigated by like various state governments. They got fined. I think I ended up getting twenty bucks back out of like the hundred and fifty dollars or whatever I donated or uh, I put forth. So you know that made me a little more uh, gun shy of contributing to crowdsourcing. I think particularly when it comes to video game projects. I think it's tricky because the expenses are often a lot more than people budget for early on. I think all tech products, this is true. We've seen a lot of tech crowdfunding where um, things don't get delivered or people don't really have the expertise they need to develop the product in question. Uh, and it turns out that, you know, combine that with sort of financial mismanagement is a recipe for truly a recipe for disaster. I'm impressed, if nothing else, that this team actually produced a game... <laughs> And it was like, there's something to that. There's some degree of chutzpah to the idea that you pronounce, you, you, like, came up with a game. You actually came out with a product, but it was just aggressively bad, like, aggressively terrible and technologically bad. Most people just walk away at some point. Um, but you know, I, I think it is a, it's a, it's a good, um, funding strategy have in the arsenal of options but i think the relying on it you know the the peak of that day has ended because so many people have had bad experiences and so many projects have not come to fruition so um, i am very skeptical of it and i think it's probably not quite the gold mine people thought it was five or ten years ago anjay what about you
2: Specifically for like game development, like I'd be wary of anyone promising like a, a like the the day before, which is like an Arnie, Unreal Engine Five game, like an MMO, basically to you know to do it like to make it and then from money you get in advance like i i can see it for like indie stuff and something more simple right i think that's still a good model cuz you know there's people that when it's a small team or maybe it's just one person they can sort of fund their life while they work on the game i think that's still fine but like anytime one of these gets announced where it's you know well, we're going to build this big open world where you're going to walk around just give us money and then we'll figure it out right i don't i don't know how they made anything basically like i i do not understand if that's the base that's if that's where the the developer starts from for a, for like a big game like that's a big very very big red flag for me so yeah
1: i've had lots of positive experiences with kind of the open beta model in terms of software like mime is a good example that is my email client now it is a gmail client for the mac it's great and that spent a year or more, two years in uh, an open beta as they built it, and then at the end of the process, they said, "Okay, now you need to pay because we're done and we're asking." And they they were upfront that they were going to charge you eventually to use it, but they if you wanted to participate in the process and get early access, you could do that. And it was actually a very positive experience. And it was a a solid product long before they hit their 1.0 milestone. And then I was happy to pay because at that point, I had been using it for a long time and really felt uh, like it was the right product for me. I think that that a process like that can work really well. Um, uh, But I'm also thinking, especially when you talk about games, I, I think about entertainment products and crowdfunding and how... The dynamics there are weird, right? Like sometimes crowdfunding is used as marketing and I I get it. Um, But there is also this this risk you have, which is, are they going to make the thing? Because they haven't made it up front. They don't have investment to make it up front. And then they recoup the investment by charging people for it. And I do also – I was watching the dynamic of Mystery Science Theater 3000, which did a couple uh, successful crowdfunding campaigns, but their third campaign failed, and it failed for a bunch of reasons. But I I do think there's this feeling uh, of fatigue that happens among fans and the idea that if the only way you can produce your TV show is by getting fans to pay kind of a lot of money for a season of a a TV show speculatively up front – Every couple of years that maybe your TV shows business model is so broken that uh, that it should not proceed. And and I think that may the lesson they learned is that they need to do something else with it. Because, you know, I like that show a lot, but being asked to pay 70 or 80 bucks every couple of years in order to make more episodes of it. Maybe you should have a subscription service and take that money and make episodes instead of having the Kickstarter model be your way of funding. It seems like a bad decision. And I think a lot of stuff is just not a good fit for that model. Uh not good fit for the creators, not a good fit for the businesses, not a good fit for the users. Not to say that there aren't good fits somewhere, but like I think I, I think people have tried to use crowdfunding for a lot of stuff where it's not the right answer. And uh and and hopefully everybody's learning their lesson now.
3: Back to you, Brie. Game development is really, really hard. I, I know that when something like this happens in the game industry, there's a, a tendency to to take it as entertainment. And obviously, this is a bad product you should not spend your, your money on. But, you know, as a former indie game developer, my heart goes out to you know the people that spent five years doing this work for free, and all that work goes up in smoke, and they're a laughing stock for the industry, and they can't take that experience to go get a game, uh, a job at a real studio. So, um, you know, I don't take it as entertainment. I take it as a cautionary tale. Uh, if you're an indie game dev studio, um, be very conservative about what you're trying to develop uh, because if you over-promise and underdeliver deliver to this degree, it is going to permanently destroy your reputation.
0: All right. That's four topics down. We have just enough time for a bonus topic. Before we get there, I want to mention really quick, it is, of course, the holiday shopping season. If you're looking for some great uh, gifts to give out and you're a Clockwise fan, we have plenty of Clockwise merchandise, including our shirt at shirt, And we now also have a hat at clockwise.social slash hat and a phone case at clockwise.social slash case. So if you're looking for some clockwise branded swag for that person in your life who's just a big clockwise fan, that's where you can find it. All right. Bonus question for you all really quickly. Do you have a favorite holiday song, Andrzej?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> Valid answer.
0: Valid answer.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. Thank you. <laughs> Jason? Uh, Last Christmas by George Michael.
3: Oh, that's... <laughs> I think for me, it would be that Die Hard theme song. Come on, it's not Christmas without that. Da-da-da-da. Like, come on, that just puts me in the holiday uh, uh, mood. I can't mm-hmm. say the complete quote, but uh, I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yippee ki indeed. <laughs> yippee ki uh
2: uh
0: i have i've always been partial to carol of the bells i don't know it's kind of got it's dark and kind of creepy i enjoy that mm-hmm. hey if you like to get ad free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week you can become a member of clockwise just go to relay.fm slash clockwise and sign up for just five dollars per month or fifty dollars a year and you'll help support the show and this week's overtime topic we're talking about stocking stuffers and with that, we've reached the end of the show. All that remains is for us to thank our fantastic guest this
1: week, Andre Tomic. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, app is actually for sale. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Excellent. And Brianna Wu, uh, you were the one who was lacking today.
3: Thank you so much, Jason. I look forward to uh, doing this again.
0: And Jason, thank you so much for sitting in for Micah this week. We really appreciate it. For everybody else listening out there, we will be back next week. But until then,
1: we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.